Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You are very welcome to the Ireland's Birth Stories podcast. My name is Cora Gernon. I created this space for women to share all of the details surrounding their pregnancy, labour, birth and everything in between without feeling shy about the detail. Sit back and enjoy over 100 hours of birth stories told by you, the listeners. Hello there. I hope you're all well and have had a good, I think it's two weeks since I spoke to you last we're over all the sickness now in this house, so let's try and get a bit of momentum back into our episodes. For any of you that have been waiting for a response um, to your submissions, I have got back to most people, so check your spam for some reason. My email goes into spam folders. Have a look there and let me know if you're available. And if I haven't responded to you, I will uh, by the end of this week, so expect an email or response by Sunday. I'm going to crack on with this week's episode and introduce introduce you to my guest, Kate, who shared her three pregnancies and two births. So Kate had two very different experiences with birth. She opted for private care with her first pregnancy. She admits that she went into her this pregnancy, labour and birth um, with little or no preparation. She just trusted her healthcare professional. She talks about... After giving birth to her son, the paediatrician noticed that on his legs there was um, extra skin and that Kate's placenta potentially stopped working um, at the latter stages of her pregnancy and this wasn't flagged by her consultant. So I'll let you hear what Kate has to say about that and how she approached that with the consultant herself. Unfortunately, she then suffered an early pregnancy loss in her second pregnancy and she talks about experiencing that alone. It was during the height of COVID, so she went into the hospital alone. She travelled home alone while bleeding really heavily. Um, She did obviously have the support of her husband then when she got home and she, fortunately for her, didn't have to have any procedures, was okay to, to suffer the loss at home, basically. On her third pregnancy, she decided to opt for a home birth. So to give birth in the comfort of her own home, she was supported by a midwife and her husband and laboured for a couple of hours there, but the decision was made to transfer to a hospital. She was back to back again um, throughout this labour as she was in, as her little boy was in her first pregnancy as well, uh, throughout labour. So she said she was in a significant amount of pain, a lot of pain, um, but this time round was supported so much more than she was the first time. She shares 
both of her breastfeeding experiences um, in detail, which I think is nice for those of you who have just started breastfeeding, who are also um, in the early days of breastfeeding. It's nice for you to hear this side of restu- this side of someone's experience as well. So thank you, Kate, for sharing your experience. I really appreciate it. And I will let you all enjoy her episode. So, Kate, you are very welcome to Ireland's Birthdays podcast. Looking forward to sitting down and have this chat with you. And thank you for your patience. I know I'm all over the place trying to book everyone in and get all these conversations uh, scheduled. So thank you, first of all. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. I'm a bit apprehensive and nervous and I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I love. (laughs) Hopefully something that just can... I don't know bring a bit of reflection or inspiration into someone else's journey do you want to give us a little introduction to you and your family and then we'll get stuck in yeah perfect so I'm a mother of two now I had my first son um in May 2020 and um, during the kind of start of the pandemic and then my second son just there in May um 2023 so I did have two very different experiences in two different hospitals in Dublin because I changed myself location wise where I lived and also because I was unhappy with the support or lack thereof that I got in one hospital. So I thought I would try another. Um, originally, I wasn't going to try any hospital. I had opted for a home birth um, and I had all my scans privately um, on my second. And then once I met my home birth midwife she was like no you actually have to um you know be in communication with a hospital in case you have to transfer in so I was like oh okay (laughs) I was like I just thought I could totally leave that out and just write my happy way but she was like no no they need to have your file and your information and stuff like that so that's where I um then obviously decided to and had to more so um choose another hospital and um that way so do you want to talk us through your first pregnancy? We'll talk through their early days conception. Yeah, so um, we we got, or I conceived quite quickly, um, luckily enough, after we got married, um, which was amazing. We were planning, which was great. And it, it just came, you know, as a, a surprise more so, even though you are planning and you are trying and you, you don't expect to conceive so quickly. So it was amazing that we did. Um, I was guided by my family who I'm the youngest of five girls so who had all been under a particular doctor in a hospital to go under him so I obviously had no experience of anything else mm-hmm. and personal experience and family experience and um, all of their feedback was all I had to go on so I went into him and um everything was fine he said you were young healthy fit you know I was in my early 30s there was no problems with my pregnancy um so that was great um we went on honeymoon in the October and uh we went to Singapore and Bali and on the way back I ended up collapsing in Singapore I think it was just exhaustion and fatigue and heat and a combination of a few things and so we were a little bit worried but when we came home we got checked and again we just got the same you're young you're healthy you're fit um it might have been a you know again a, a hydration issue or anything like that so that was fine um we went throughout my pregnancy going in and out of appointments which was nice you had the consistency and continuity which i liked anyway of going to the same gynecologist um 
everything seemed fine scan seemed fine it was all fine um we came to coming up to my 40 week um my 40 weeks and I remember my mum saying to me oh when are you back in to the hospital and I said oh I'm not back in till next week and she was a little bit taken back and I said oh why she just said oh you're just very small and I had gotten that throughout my pregnancy and even in my second pregnancy I just find it so irritating and triggering when people said that because I'm five nine and or five eleven <laughs> five eleven <laughs> and um I, that's just my height and it is what it is um so I don't think I was small in my pregnancies it's just that I was taller and I I also have a longer torso than legs mm-hmm. if you so I'm kind of longer upper body than I would be lower body um so it was always a passing comment um, that people made to me that I was small, that I was very neat. And I didn't really think anything of it, um, to be honest. But um, my mum is quite small and she had well, what is considered today small babies. So again, I didn't think anything of it. I went in at uh, 40 weeks on the Wednesday and I thought I had a show that morning and I said it to the to the doctor and he's checked me and said, no, the cervix you know, wasn't opening or didn't look like it was ready. I was fine. I said, okay, no problem. Um, Upon leaving the office, I asked what the procedure, the protocol was in that hospital in relation to going over 40 weeks, how long I would be allowed. And he said, oh, just come in next week. And if you're, you know, still in the same situation that you're in, I'll just have you in and out. Um, as soon as possible and I was like oh okay and was leaving the room and upon leaving the room he opened the door for me and I turned around and said oh I don't want a c-section and he was so taken back he was like oh oh okay I said no but I that's want what he meant yeah that's what he meant wow, yeah. okay it didn't the penny didn't drop at me until I was leaving and um now again he would be more of a gynecologist who deals with high risk patients that would be more of his a lot of his clientele would also choose that option okay Uh, they would choose a you know a c-section and even if they weren't high risk that's kind of what he's known for (laughs) I don't want to sound you know too um prejudicial in that sense but the majority of people who would see that doctor would even if they were young fit healthy women just choose that option whatever um so he was a bit taken back by that um and I said no I want to go into labor you know naturally and he said oh oh okay then well well we'll just see you next week then for a checkup and I said oh okay um I left his office um I had those kind of small achy period pains that's why I thought that something was moving or happening but after being with him I didn't think anything more so had a bath on the Wednesday um had a little bit of leaking which I thought was just from the bath water you know when you're getting out and a little bit kind of afterwards because obviously your pelvic floor isn't as tight as it normally would have or usually would have and the Thursday the achy feeling continued and then uh, again had a bath and then on um, 
the Thursday night, I couldn't sleep at all. I was up all night with this pain. So what I didn't know was that I was in pre-labor, but that it was, you know, taking its time to come on. So a lot of, um, I suppose, lack for me in regards to, you know, your Googling, but research on my side. I think I had very much um, handed all of my knowledge or placed that in the gynecologist's hands. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know what to expect. Like I didn't know at that stage that, you know, one in four women's waters only break. The majority of women's waters don't break, you know, or your water doesn't break in one big splash like it does in American movies. <laughs> it can dribble out or it can come, you know, in kind of little bits and pieces. I didn't know any of that. So actually the leaking from the bath was my water breaking slowly, but I didn't know. So on the Friday night, I just said to my husband, um, just ring the hospital and see what they say. So um, he rang and I said, I think my water is broken. And the midwife was like, well, when did your water break? And I was like, I don't really know. Um, So she said, come in immediately because if it's more than 48 hours, you know, there could be a risk of infection, la, la, la. Well, I went straight in anyway to the hospital. It was about 10 at night, brought my case with me. Obviously, at this stage, my husband couldn't come in at all. So he just dropped me at the door. So she checked me. She said, oh, your waters have broken. They're well gone. Again, asked me when they broke. I said, I don't know, because no one told me that they could break in pieces or anything like this. So so I don't really know. Um, So she said, "Okay, we'll just get you ready for a labor ward. So after that, I (laughs) was left on a chair in the hospital for about four hours So one of those really uncomfortable wooden chairs, they weren't to like give me a birthing ball because of um, what was happening for infection reasons or whatever else. So I was just left to sit on this chair um, and my husband was outside. So eventually at about two o'clock in the morning, they called uh, me in and my husband could come in. That was fine to the um, labor ward which I did so I continued to labor there my pains continued to get a little bit more intensive and I'd say about after an hour or two hours uh, the nurse in the room was just having a chat with me and then offered me oxytocin so again I didn't know what it was Um, very inexperienced which I totally take responsibility for in that regard. You know, I should have read or researched and informed myself much more. I didn't know what it was. And my sister, um, one of my sisters had recently had a home birth and was very holistic, much more informed than I was. So I asked my husband to text her. So she explained to me what it was. I also have a a heart murmur. So I was a little bit cautious about taking anything. Um, So I just said to the nurse, I'm just going to hold off you know for a moment um I don't particularly want to take it um if that's okay so she left the room and that was fine my husband texted my sister continued and she came back with two nurses she came back with the head midwife of the ward and another nurse and I felt um extremely intimidated Mm. at that stage and was told that if I didn't take this 
that basically I could be laboring for days, you know, I would be left here for days, you know, um, I'd be in extreme pain, um, ex- everything that comes with that. So I was very afraid <laughs> and fearful. So I took it. But then again, having the lack of information, I didn't understand that obviously it brings contractions on, which they told me, but I didn't understand that it brought contractions on so intensively, mm. so severely and like automatically that I hadn't prepared even breath work wise, you know, what was going to happen the minute that that was administered. So that was administered and I was kind of moving around the room. I was um, on all fours, you know, I was trying different positions as you do. My husband was helping me. The moment that was administered, I could no longer stand. My legs were shaking and giving um, giving away underneath me. Um, I had no control at all. I felt like I was going into almost spasms, that the contractions were coming so fast and so strong. What I didn't know at that point was that Jonathan, my son, was back to back. So was both of them were ironically. So he was trying to turn, which was making my labor longer because he was being a little bit lazier. But then when the contractions came, obviously the push on him and the intensity to try and turn was just too much for me and for him as well. So his heart rate started to drop and I just was in convulsions I was collapsing and I couldn't control um the contractions or my breath when they were coming so I opted for an epidural which they administered which was fine and it got to a stage then where they eventually they had to pull him a little bit of um a suction needed to be used on him and I had an episiotomy to bring him out so that was fine. That all went well. Um, again, I felt in this particular hospital that there wasn't as much privacy. It was a very large room. There seemed like a lot of people in it. You know, people would come in and out of the room and not even kind of acknowledge me, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. talk about me, look at my chart, would not acknowledge me, definitely not acknowledge my husband, <laughs> and then walk out. So I felt very much um, almost like in a bit of a dream where I was there but I wasn't there but then sometimes I thought maybe that was the drugs and the effects of the drugs as well you know sometimes you're feeling a little bit questioning of yourself and your self-worth but then you think you're being paranoid about it as well so you're like okay what does matter so unfortunately as I was wheeled on to the ward my husband had to leave at that stage um I had Jonathan on a Friday well, Saturday morning, at like 10.45 Saturday morning. So they say never have, we'll never go into hospital on a weekend. <laughs> and I went into hospital on a bank holiday weekend. So I wasn't seen again till the Tuesday by anyone. Now, all the private rooms in the hospital were closed because of the pandemic. So I was placed on a ward, which was fine. The irony of it was that instead of six women in my room, there were eight and we were shoved is a polite word <laughs> into the room together um like so tight inches like I could touch not only Jonathan but also the other ladies uh baby you know um but I suppose you just make do because we didn't and no one knew at that stage what was going on or 
you know, nurses and hospitals and us. So we just got on with it. But I suppose as a first time mom, it was a bit overwhelming. Yeah, you know, yeah. Baby, there wasn't much time for chest to chest. And then you're kind of wheeled out onto a ward and it's like, there you go. And you're like, oh, okay. And I'd had an epidural and the severity of it meant that obviously I couldn't feel anything below my legs. So you're left in the bed on your own. And then the bed's so low down and the baby's so high up. (laughs) You're like, so am I even going to get the baby if they cry? Because I can't move the lower half of my body at all. So just a little bit of it's it just comes so quickly it happens so quickly and then all of a sudden you're just in your room um obviously no one can come and help and visit or anything like that Jonathan was a very small he was six five or considered to be very small at six five so I had no clothes for him because I was told that he would be a seven to eight pound baby so he was tiny compared to that so the poor clothes uh, were like hanging off his limbs (laughs) So I sent my husband to get clothes and then dropped him into reception to bring up to me all that ridiculousness that came with it. But um, I didn't leave Jonathan's side. I didn't shower till I came home on the Tuesday because they were so understaffed. So for the next three days, I was hand pumping my colostrum for about three hours and then when he woke he wasn't latching so I would use a syringe to syringe feed him then he would fall asleep then I would hand pump the colostrum again then he would wake so that basically happened for the three days and one of my sisters said to me you need to ask the pediatrician if he's tongue-tied when she comes around so now some nurses did help me try and get him to latch but a lot of the time when I rang the bell, there was no, there was no one there. Um, they were so understaffed and um, they couldn't help everyone. They seemed like, I remember overhearing a woman saying this was the busiest bank holiday they'd had in years. And I could see that in the room. I could mm-hmm. sense that, that they were literally wheeling women and had nowhere to put them because they had closed the rooms that were available to them, but then were ironically closed. Um, so on the Tuesday the pediatrician started making her rounds and she was you know doing his chicken checking his arms checking his legs and I asked is he tongue-tied and she said oh yeah he is tongue-tied I thought she would snip it because about 11 or 12 years ago um my nephew was born and he was tongue-tied and they snipped it in the hospital like there then the pediatrician just snipped in and that was it so she was like no we have to book an appointment we no longer do that in the hospital I was a bit agitated because if I'd known that on Saturday I would have booked an appointment and had it for the Tuesday when I was leaving and particularly because where I was going to book the appointment was close to the hospital and I wanted to feed um so I wanted to get it done as quickly as possible so that was fine. I said, I, I want to feed like I've been, how I've been giving him the colostrum and feeding him. So she was looking at his thighs and she mentioned that there was a lot of excess skin around his inner thigh area. I just thought, OK, well, myself, my husband are very tall, you know, he's just long limbed and he just has some excess skin there. So she um, concluded that the my placenta had stopped working. Now. Well, my midwife in my second pregnancy said that the technical term is um, 
that the baby was getting reduced. It's not the, that the placenta had stopped working, that uh, it was a reduction in what the baby was getting, essentially. So I didn't think anything of it, in it really. So she did her rounds and I was going to the bathroom and um, she was worried about his weight. She was worried about his weight when he was born and then worried that I hadn't been feeding him or I couldn't get him to latch. So this was an issue that she had with me. Um, and I said that I want to I want to feed. I want to primarily feed, you know, and would I consider giving him a bottle? And I said, yes, I've never no problem with that but I haven't been able to feed him because he's been tongue-tied and I've had no help or assistance and I hadn't even seen I didn't see in my whole time there a lactation consultant there wasn't one on for the weekend so I didn't see one um so anyway an hour or two later I was on my way to the bathroom and she cornered me on the corridor and said that she was pro breastfeeding she encourages women to breastfeed but that she wasn't going to release me um from the hospital until I took some bottles because she was so worried about the weight of the baby so obviously I was taken aback and um baffled that she would corner me um not only corner me a first-time mom but corner me in the circumstances of like I had no support in the hospital for three days hadn't seen anyone there'd be no lactation consultant you know there'd be no one to even help me express the colostrum I had um you know, like rashes on my boobs and on my breasts from trying to like push. Again, lack of knowledge. I didn't know that the milk ducts are at the back and you need to push from the back forwards. Just things like this that you learn through experience. Mm -hmm. So um, I refused. I said, no, I'm, I'm not until I get help with feeding. So a few hours later, the midwife on came to me and said if you don't take bottles the pediatrician is genuinely not going to release you so I was like oh, fine so I just went into the storeroom and I was just like grabbing loads of bottles <laughs> loads of syringes loads of random stuff I was like look I'll take these out you know whatever I just want to get out of here I haven't seen anyone for three days I've been on my own I just want to go home so um I took them anyway and left and that was it um what happened was we had to get a midwife out to help us. So once his tongue tie had been snapped, that was fine, but he would be fed and he would just be sitting there. So for, I'd say about two to three weeks, we would feed him. And every time he moved his tongue, we would have the syringe in one side of his mouth and our finger in the other. And every time he moved his tongue, we'd give him a little bit of milk. So it was very... um uh draining but we persevered and the advantages of COVID was actually that my husband was at home throughout this yeah. and working from home so that he could help me because I would be pumping in the bathroom and he would be feeding him with the syringe and his finger you know so eventually with the support of my sister and my mom who came over a good few times and literally sat with me um every time he needed to be fed he eventually latched and fed and I fed him for a year which is fine mm -hmm. But I went back to the pediatrician for a checkup and uh, she was, I said, she said, he's fine, he's weight, he's grown substantially, he's great, la la. 
and how are you feeding? And I said, oh, no, I'm just solely breastfeeding. And she was like, oh, right. And so he didn't take any bottles. I said, I never gave him a bottle. I said, he latched. I got his tongue tied done and he's just been breastfed. And she was like, oh, God, that's brilliant. That, go you. And I was like, mm. <laughs> weren't so encouraging when you pointed me in the hospital. But anyway, so I then proceeded to ask her, after I'd had a few weeks to kind of sit and settle with what had happened in the hospital, I proceeded to ask her about the comment about my placenta having stopped work, uh, working and feeding the baby. And she just showed me a chart and explained to me that she, from her calculations, what she could see was that the placenta had reduced its impact around 36 37 weeks um and therefore he wasn't getting as much food as he should have in the last few weeks so I was a bit taken back by that and upset that it hadn't been picked up on um particularly because I suppose you think if you are paying and I know this probably sounds really naive but if you are paying for the consistency and the continuity of seeing the same gynecologist that you're going to get, you know, anything like that picked up on. And that would be the reason for why you would be paying, essentially. So I was annoyed. I was angry. I was frustrated. Um, So I had to go back in to my gynecologist anyway because he had to check up on my episiotomy. So I went in at about six weeks for my checkup. And I mentioned it to him, checked me fine. And I mentioned at the end of it, I said, the pediatrician was quite confident in her calculation and assumption that my placenta had reduced working or had stopped working at around 36, 37 weeks um, and feeding the baby. And I'll never forget the first thing that came out of his mouth, which was, why my mum had been questioning me he said oh yeah I thought you were a bit small and then he automatically refrained and said oh no I don't mean small I mean and I was like what you thought that but then you didn't do anything about it and then he began to go on a bit of a tangent about scans and scans can be 20% out. And he started doing calculations on my chart and saying, you know, oh, seven to eight pounds or six, six, to eight. yeah, that's about 20%. So six, five. And I was getting a bit flustered at, you know, him calculating. I didn't know what he was calculating, really trying to talk his way out of the situation and backtrack. And then he wrote down on a um, a sticky note, oh, well, if you were to get pregnant again, you would take aspirin at the start of your pregnancy to um, enforce that your placenta is strong and sturdy and things like this, la, 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 la. And then he kind of just spoke again, gave me the sticky note, like I had Jonathan with me. I took it, took Jonathan and then left the office and was a bit... <laughs> Like, if you had said nothing about the pediatrician saying that, he wouldn't have mentioned anything about aspirin. No, he wouldn't have. And it was also, he said, because Jonathan was there, he said, oh, oh, yeah, oh, look at him. Like, he's great. Like, he's lovely now and he's like a healthy, you know, like 
basically, what are you going on about? You've a healthy boy. So, you know, why are you bringing this up? And it was, I felt like saying, well, one, he's healthy because of me, because I just persevered, you know, for the last few weeks to feed him without any support. I said to him, I didn't see, like, it's almost as if my experience was totally, and I understand he probably has hundreds and thousands of clients, and that's absolutely fine. But my whole experience in the hospital was totally disregarded by him. The fact that it was a bank holiday, there was no one on, the fact that there were no rooms, the fact that they were understaffed, the fact that I didn't even see a lactation consultant, you know, the, any of these issues were just totally um, pushed to the side. And he was just chatting to me as if I'd had this wonderful experience in the hospital when I clearly hadn't and I should be grateful that I have a healthy child now um so I don't know if that's just the way he works but um yeah I was I was just really bitter about the whole situation um because I suppose a lot of people would view it like that well, what are you giving out about you have a healthy child now you know a lot of people would love to have a child and what has your experience got to do with it mm. in a sense um and I suppose then coming into pregnancy the second time my experience was totally totally transcended and totally changed my like I definitely had PTS in regards to my hospital experience not saying not speaking up for myself in regards to him and how he made me feel like he made me feel very dismissed and what was I going on about um very disempowered and very vulnerable when I thought that I had kind of gotten stronger through childbirth and becoming a mother, you know, you kind of walk back into those situations and scenarios and then all of a sudden you don't say a word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you no, know, and you don't say a peep and you go in with the uh, intention of, because I'd had the information from the pediatrician, this is what I'm going to say and this is how I'm going to say it. And then I leave and I think, how did that just happen? <laughs> I didn't say I didn't voice anything I wanted to voice. I didn't make it known that I was unhappy with his service and I wouldn't be coming back. Like I scrunched the the sticky note up in my hand and like threw it in the bin on the way out of the hospital. I was like, if I have another child, I without a doubt will not be coming back to see you. And even to this day, I think I might make an official complaint. Yep. And my husband's like, either make a complaint or don't make a complaint, but stop talking about it. And I'm like, you don't understand. Um, because there's that intimidation factor where he is regarded as being wonderful. I mean, you can't say any wrong, like in a lot of settings about him. But then another issue about, I don't know, maybe putting it down on paper would be cathartic. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. You'd feel, no, yeah. There's no yeah. apology I'm going to get. <laughs> This ex, I don't know what my expectation is as well because I'm not going to get an admittance of. Yes, I should have picked up on the fact that your placenta had, you know, basically reduced and 
the baby wasn't getting fed as much as it should have in the last few weeks. So then I think, is there a point? So I don't know. I don't know. But that was my experience on, on my first. <laughs> so a bit of a concoction of. It's hard to, to because you're not going to get, as you said, any admittance to anything. But then but for me, I just wanted to even be in the in the at least there's like a 50 percent chance that the right person's eyes could be laid on it and then at least some he was maybe aware or the his secretary or someone saw something of it and it, he could just be aware of maybe his manner and how he he worded things and dealt with things yes yeah I know because I think his, his poor secretary rang me a few weeks later um and I um had definitely found my voice then mm. and I was really angry on the phone and I uh <laughs> I basically said to her throughout my pregnancy I was told I was fit and that that makes no difference if you're young fit and healthy either like these things can happen to anyone if you're young and healthy or if you're not you have women in their late 40s you know having no problems in pregnancy and then women in their early 20s having you know problems in pregnancy or labor that doesn't matter the body doesn't work like that either in regards to age and indifference so she got just the brunt of my sadly probably um <laughs> bitterness when she rang and I just said throughout my pregnancy I was told I was young fit and healthy and actually I was high risk towards the end when it wasn't picked up on um and then I was dismissed when I brought it up as a possibility in regards to something that was missed and then kind of shooed and shushed out the door, which is a very, very Irish trait. I mean, to shoo something under the carpet and then shush someone who's saying it. So I felt very, um, yeah, just meek, I suppose, in a lot of senses. When did you decide that you were ready to add to your family or did you? Um, yeah, we had we decided Jonathan turned one and I suppose we decided to start trying again. So we were away for a long period of time um, together as well, as well as a family. So we thought it would be a nice opportunity. There'd be no pressure on us, you know, no stress. We were um, we would do like we did on Jonathan and just try and, you know, have no expectations in, in that sense. So um Luckily enough for us, again, we tried and we conceived um, quite quickly. But unfortunately, I miscarried at about nine, ten weeks. Um, we were in Spain when it happened. And again, with the regulations and the restrictions, I suppose, again, it was probably another layer of trauma for me. I had to go to the hospital on my own and I had to have a scan on my own. So... Not only did I, was I kind of placed in the category of women who had babies on their own during COVID and their partners couldn't come in, but now I was kind of placed in another category of understanding women who had miscarriages or had to deal with information that was traumatising and had no one there physically to support them. Um. And because we were away, my husband was with my son back in the apartment. So it was 
even worse that I kind of had to leave the hospital and then walk to get a taxi and you know get a taxi back to the apartment and you know all that can you just feel like you're in a bit of a in a bit of a dream in that sense um yeah I didn't have the the best experience when I was away even trying to again in regard to hospitals trying to get to see someone in the public hospital they sent me away they actually sent me away um and I was profusely bleeding like I was bleeding through like my tampon and into the pad and I stopped at the toilet on the way and put tissue in my pants and the nurse came out and just said oh there was no gynecologist there and no one could see me and I was bawling crying I I was like I just want someone to tell me if I'm pregnant or if I'm not pregnant because I had still been testing again through lack of knowledge I'd still been testing pregnant on the pregnancy um, tests but then I knew that I could still test for weeks after a miscarriage because of the pH levels in your blood. So I just really wanted to know. Um, and she sent me away and like I bled all the way through the hospital <laughs> corridor um, into the taxi. I went home to my husband and I actually went back to the private hospital in Spain again paid no problem was seen within 20 minutes um she scanned me and she just said no that I just had a, a natural she didn't think there was anything a DMC or anything that needed to be done I just had a natural um miscarriage so uh it was yeah I just people think you can see so quickly and then after that we weren't planning on, well, not conceiving again, but we weren't actively planning on um, trying to have another baby. But what happened was that I did conceive quite quickly after that um, on Daniel. So I was adamant on this pregnancy that I wanted full disclosure in regards to myself. Like I wanted to be more active. Um, I wanted to have more of a voice. I was definitely going to do far more research. You know, I wanted a doula with me if I was going to go into the hospital. And then through a lot of research, I then decided to have a home birth. Um, so my husband was quite supportive of that. Um, again, as I said at the start, because of the incident with the hospital and then on top of that, layering the incident with kind of the two hospitals I had in Spain, in the treatment, I, I didn't particularly want to go near a hospital. Um, <laughs> I didn't feel valued in a hospital unless I paid, uh, which what, was what happened um, in relation to my miscarriage. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And I just didn't want, I just didn't want to go back. Um, I definitely had PTS. Um, so I had my 12-week scan and my 20-week scan in a clinic in Bray. And that was fine. I met my midwife at 20 weeks. And as I said to you, that's when she said to me, no, you have to. She said, if you have to transfer in, what hospital are you going to? And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to a hospital. She was like, no, you have to have communications with a hospital. Um, so we had moved. So the hospital, um, so I, I had to go to another hospital, a, a different one to what I or where I had had um, my first, which was fine with me, actually. I was like, OK, that's fine. I'll go to a different hospital. Maybe I'll have a different experience. Um, a lot of people were quite shocked that I had uh, chosen a different hospital because I don't know if it's an Irish thing. But people like to have, obviously, their, all their children in one hospital. Maybe it's a sentimental. But I, when I said to people, oh, I was going to another hospital, people who knew me from my first were like, oh, but didn't you have Jonathan in? And I was like, yeah. And then I would say, oh, well, I didn't have a great experience. And they'd still be kind of looking at me like I had 10 heads. And so they're going to be born in different hospitals. And I'm like, does that really make a difference? I think it is a sentimental thing, yeah. Because some people would want to give birth in the hospital that their their sister gave birth to their kids or their mom did or whatever. I think it is. I think you're right. It's a sentimental thing. Yeah. And it can be, like you said, like a lineage thing. Like I was born here and my sisters. And it is nice. It is nice to think of it in that way. But I suppose I just had none of that around my first. So I definitely wasn't thinking like that. But uh, I, I didn't tell anyone I was planning a home birth other than my husband and maybe one or two friends because I didn't um I, I I didn't want what comes with the home birth you know the the questions or the criticism or the you know the shock or the horror that I was putting the baby's life in jeopardy and you know we were all going to die and that was going to be it so I just didn't want opinions to be honest I just wanted to kind of cocoon myself particularly after 
a, a miscarriage. I just wanted to kind of cocoon myself in the pregnancy and be far more attuned um, and in tune with it as well. I feel, I feel in my first pregnancy, I very much just went about, I, I don't want to say naive, but I was just a bit, I don't want to say dilly-dallying, like, but I could have done more to educate myself in what, um, like, the fourth trimester is. Like, I'm very much into health and nutrition anyway, but even on my second pregnancy, I was even more into it in regards to, like, supporting my milk supply, you know, regaining strength, anything like that. I was just... um, embracing and I was really engaging with that information more so than on my first I don't want like I don't really know what I did on my first. <laughs> yeah so I did I mean my midwife was fabulous she came again the advantage my husband was working from home and we would have our appointments at home she came to visit me here and he could work or and then she, you know she could be here if he had any questions obviously he was a li- little bit more apprehensive in regards to a home birth he before we had fully decided on even though I always had decided <laughs> but I suppose I had to pretend that he had a say <laughs> um he rang her and he, any questions that he had you know she um she was able to answer them for him so when we met her then it's just nice to have that intimate chat uh with someone yeah, kind of absolutely. as well and having a far more kind of friendly feel about it um rather than your appointments at one thirty-five, and then you're kind of shushed out of an office at you know 145 because there's another appointment at 150 you know which is understandable because of schedules and you know that's the way the world um and you can't harbor ill feelings in regards to that but it's just nice to be in the comfort of your own home you know and I suppose that was another reason other than the treatment that I felt that I was um given in the hospital just that uh, the hospital environment is just not conducive (laughs) to uh having babies like it's right I mean it's so noisy uh, the beds are so uncomfortable and I know this is no one who works in the hospital's fault that's just the way they're built um but everything about it I mean it must be so traumatizing for a baby to come out they're so cozy and comforted you know in this dark space and all of a sudden they're out in this brightness and even the lights they're not even you know aesthetically pleasing they're just horrible I just find the whole atmosphere very sterile and just not comforting so I really wanted to be at home um so I again showed up on the doorsteps of this hospital in about 20 weeks (laughs) and they were nay (laughs) pleased to see me I uh went in and said you know I have to whatever book in um I was like the last, uh, like the last shepherd. They were baffled uh, and perplexed about where I'd been and what I was doing for 20 weeks. And I said, oh, I'm planning a home birth. So I didn't really think I needed to come here, but my midwife told me I did. So the first doctor I got was, um, yeah, she almost um, bluntly um, asconded me 
you know, I was irresponsible and why hadn't I been with her? And I said, I've had scans. I had a scan at 20 weeks. I had a scan at 12 weeks. I also didn't particularly want endless scans. Every time I went to my gynecologist on Jonathan, we went into his office. Hi, how are you? Took out my file. And then he scanned me. And I was like, okay, fine. Again, this is what happens. This is what, you know, should be done. This is the order of it. Um, and then I read a lot of studies from Germany and kind of more um, northern hemisphere countries about how sometimes scanning can actually affect the baby and the fetus's growth, you know, over scanning, obviously. So I wanted to reduce scanning as much as possible. Um, she, the doctor, was extremely um, <laughs> unhappy with me just showing up. So then I told him my history of my first Jonathan. He was six five, and they now have this scale. And six five is considered a a small baby, an underdeveloped small baby. Okay. So then I was a high alert case in that sense. So she passed me on to uh, a gynecologist, and he brought me in, and he said, "You know." your history is that you have small babies. I was like, I didn't think six, five was a small baby. My mother had babies and we were all six and some of us were actually five, you know, five, 10, five, 11. It's like, I didn't know that six, five was a small baby. Oh yeah. It's considered a small baby nowadays. La 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 la. You're considering a home birth. He would uh, advise me against that. I said, that's fine. In the same sentence as he was advising me against the home birth, he said, I don't know much about home births, but I would advise you against the home birth. I was like, okay. Anyway, so he just said, can we agree that towards the end of your pregnancy, you may need some more scans, growth scans. And I said, that's fine. To be honest, most of my time in the hospital, I just wanted to get out. So I was very agreeable. Until a certain stage. So yeah, fine, great, fine. So I went every two weeks to have my appointments, went every two weeks. Um, I had had at about 36 weeks a slip in the kitchen. And I'd gone into the hospital on the Saturday. And again, I don't know why, because there was no one on. <laughs> but they traced me for a half. I felt fine, but I just wanted a little bit of confirmation. So they just traced me for a half an hour, 40 minutes. You know, when something like that happens and then you just get into your own head. And I was thinking, oh, the baby's not moving that much. Or are they moving? Or are they not moving as much as they were yesterday before my fall? Or, you know? Yeah, yeah. The so, only way to to put your mind at rest is go in and get things checked. Yeah. Yeah. So I just went in and we're not too far. So I just went in. She traced me for like 30, 40 minutes and then said, no, you're fine. Like, I think you're fine. But maybe come back next week at now I was on like a Monday clinic and it was a bank holiday. So she was like, come in on Friday. And um, so you don't have to wait all the way to another week. So I said, OK, that's no problem. So I'm in on the Friday and obviously there was no appointment for me. So I just waited around. I tell them what the situation was. And she said, OK, we'll just wait there and we'll get some to see. So I said, OK, that's fine. So I saw um, a young female gynecologist. um. I would say newly qualified um, because she was very guidelines driven in the sense that I went in, she scanned me and she said that I was scanning 
like three or four weeks behind where I should be. And I said, okay, I've had this throughout my whole pregnancy. Like you're small, you're small, you're small. The baby's going to be small, you're small, you're small. It's just like, okay. Now I knew on Daniel, even clothes wise, that I was bigger. I knew intuitively and gut feeling. I was like, this baby's bigger. Um, I could just feel it myself. And I knew that I was much bigger. So, and I also am tall and have a longer torso in that regard. So that was fine. Um, she then proceeded to say, well, this ho- hospital's um, guidelines are that you are induced. And I said, okay. So when I'm actually planning a home birth, so um, like I won't be getting induced. She was like, well, from 36 weeks, we would advise induction. I said, okay, that's fine. But I'm like, I won't be getting induced. <laughs> So then she proceeded to tell me that if I didn't um, essentially take up the induction, that I was at a very, there, there was a very high probability of having a stillborn and that I would be putting my baby's life at risk. Um, so I was completely taken back by this. If I was to go back again, I'd actually probably ask her to write that down on a piece of paper the fact that it came out of her mouth I was like are you like this could induce labor the stress of this conversation so I said okay um so she was vehemently pushing for an induction um with many things that came out of her mouth um like my baby could be a stillborn um they couldn't get enough oxygen they could die they won't get enough food you won't even realize um that the baby has you know basically reduced movements etc so I said okay um I'm just going to ring my midwife and talk to her so we were in a private room at this stage and she got up and she said oh that's no problem she said you can just ring her on that phone there and I'll leave the room and I said no I'll be leaving this hospital and this room and ringing my midwife and then it's my decision if I come back to be traced so her she wanted me to retrace then for another like half an hour 40 minutes so I said and then it would be my decision if I want to come back and be traced and induced so she was completely taken back by that Mm. um I left the hospital rang my midwife had a discussion with her came back and got traced for 40 minutes she came back into the room when I was being traced and said seeing as you were refusing an induction we want you to come back on Monday this was Friday I was like what well how much growing is the baby going to do in two days I was like this is ridiculous so I said fine that's no problem fine came back on Monday and I got another uh midwife or gynecologist lovely lady um she scanned me again she said yeah you're you know maybe a week or two behind but she didn't see anything substantial to worry about she was actually I said to her I'm having a home birth and she was asking me why I chose to have a home birth she was quite inquisitive and open-minded to um my decision to have a home birth So we sat down at the table at the end of it and she said, I assume you're having a home birth 
you're well informed. Induction is there for you if you want it, but it's your choice. And I said, okay, that's fine. I said, I'm not going to be induced. I want to go to 40 weeks and I would like to go into labor naturally. And she said, okay. And I left the hospital and I was fine. So it was great. Then we got to 38 weeks and <laughs> I um so in between those two appointments, I remember I collected my son and I got a phone call on the Wednesday from the hospital and a midwife asking me if I had wanted to take them up on their um, offer of induction. And I was like, no, is this like some sort of HR like call? <laughs> like, no, I'm OK. I was literally in the hospital two days ago. So bizarre. Like, That's so you. strange. I was like, do you get commission from this? Yeah. Or <laughs> yeah. no, I said, no, I was I was in the hospital Monday and I like I refused. Like I actually walked out. She was like, oh, okay, well, just to let you know that it's there if you want it. I was like, okay. And I just hung up the phone and was like, this is just so bizarre. So I feel like the hospital went on a rampage of trying to annoy me so much that I would just choose an induction Mm. they rang me daily to come in and be scanned and seen so I had told the doctor at 38 weeks I went back in again got scanned I told the doctor I want to reduce my scans I don't want to be scanned every three days until I'm 40 weeks I said I'll come in every week that's fine I said I'm not coming in every three days to be scanned Again, he brought, he sent me up to the, um, where they have, you know, more intense scanners. Again, we all know the scans can be like 20% and actually even more in the latter part of your pregnancy. Um, went up, the sonographer who I'd seen through my whole pregnancy was like the same lady. Every time I saw her, she was like, hello again. And I was like, hi, <laughs> they think I'm really small. And every time she was scanning me, I was looking at her for any sort of indication that there was something wrong. She was showing me the placenta and it was still feeding the baby. She could see, you know, the amniotic fluid. I I used to ask her every time, do you you see any problems? And she was like, no, I don't, but I'll send it down to the doctor. And then every time I would go down to the doctor, they would be pushing for an induction. So 38 weeks again, I was told by a male doctor that if I didn't have an induction, I'd be putting my baby's life at risk. If I didn't, if I had or continued to persevere with having a home birth, the baby would have to be rushed into hospital and straight into ICU because it wouldn't be able to breathe properly because of um, the lack of lung capacity that the baby would have. So I felt like he was, um, I, I felt I was getting stronger in refusing the induction and he was kind of my last fence where his ridiculousness or what I like I could only categorize as ridiculousness of um trying to fear me actually was making me louder I was wasn't abrasive or aggressive in any way I just said okay yeah thanks but no so I'll see you next Thursday like at 39 weeks and he 
was just obviously for a male it's probably a little bit more difficult he doesn't know you know probably what to say to me or you know how to go about this and sometimes I think they're well people don't say no so <laughs> they probably don't know how to respond so I just walked out of the room I booked another appointment for 39 weeks and left I used to go to the beach I used to grind myself because sometimes it would get into my head that you know maybe maybe they're right maybe you know the baby is really small yeah, of course you know, yeah the baby's life at risk maybe I'm not doing the right thing and then I would go and grind myself walk kind of talk to the baby and just know that I was bigger that the baby was moving and that you know we were continuing going forwards so they wanted to come in on I think it was went in 39 um and then just before the few days before my 40 weeks I there was an appointment um on the Friday and I didn't go to it. I wanted to go into, I knew that if I went in that close to my due date, that the push and the pressure on me to stay in and induce would potentially be too much for me in a vulnerable state. Um, So I didn't go in for my scan. Now they rang me and they rang my husband. I didn't pick up. And my husband then was terrified that if we needed to transfer in, no one would see us. And I was like, no, they have to see us, but we'll be fine. So I did answer then after six or seven calls and I got um, a midwife who was obviously extremely agitated by my actions. And I just said, I'm resting. I was in bed when I answered the call. I said, I'm resting. Like my due date was on the Sunday. I was 40 weeks on the Sunday and this was the Friday. I said, I want to go into labor naturally. I said, I'm resting for the moment I said I don't want to be hassled and she said oh so does that mean you're not coming in to be traced I said no I'm not coming in to be traced because well one I didn't want to drive either I was like no I just want to go for a walk I just want to rest you know no I don't so again she was a bit abrasive with me and she just hung up I went into labor then three days later I was 40 and three uh, the same on both Jonathan and Daniel. I was 40 and three. And also, um, I said to one of the gynecologists at one of the meetings, I said, I don't know if I am, like I was measuring, they would say, just say I was 38 weeks. And they would say, well, you're measuring 34 or 35. I said, I could be 34 or 35 because I didn't have a period in between when I miscarried and when I conceived. Okay. So I said, you could potentially be inducing me at 34 and not 38, you know? So the development of them, particularly their lung development, um, essentially happens in the last few weeks. So I was like, you could be actually causing more harm than good by inducing me so early when you think I'm actually ironically so late. So I was very much all about nature taking its own course in that regard. Um, so I went into labour. Um, my waters broke this time fully. The midwife was called. We laboured at home for a significant amount of time. And then I hadn't even considered 
transferring into hospital. So much so that I didn't have a bag packed or anything. The midwife just said to my husband, we need to transfer in. Um, the baby was back to back and he wasn't turning. And what happened was, what's ha- what, ha- what was happening was that his heart rate was dropping. So he was trying to turn. So his heart rate, his heart rate was rising during that time. And then obviously he was becoming exasperated and exhausted with the effort to turn. And then his heart rate, rate oh my God, heart rate would drop. <laughs> so uh, like my husband was filling, frantically filling the, uh, the water, the birth pill <laughs> with like pots and pans. And then all of a sudden the midwife was like, yeah, no, we got to transfer. And he was like, what? So we- we had to go up and uh, pack a bag for me with essentials, which obviously, <laughs> even on the second baby, he didn't know what they were. <laughs> and we transferred in. Um, when the ambulance guys came, um, hilariously, but obviously I didn't think so because I was in a huge amount of pain. They came in and they were like, Jesus, is there a party going on in here? With the pill, with the pill open and ready. <laughs> And I was just um, obviously in screaming in agony. We had just moved into our house as well. So an ambulance showing up, I think it was about two o'clock in the morning we transferred in. Um, brought all the neighbours out. All the neighbours out. <laughs> yeah, of course, no. To see if I was okay as I just shrieked on the way to the ambulance <laughs> in pure pain. And probably thought, why didn't you go into the hospital a little bit earlier? Like... What's wrong with her? It's her second. Um, obviously, because I wasn't going to have them. I'm just going to have my baby at home in the TV room, like, if that's okay. If you hear anyone. <laughs> I know you tell nobody. Yeah, and I still say to my neighbour, no. you did, because we live in a, a, a semi-D, and I still say to my neighbour, you heard me. Like, it was three o'clock in the day. You definitely heard me. It was in the sitting room. Her sitting room's right there. She did, and she still denies it. I know she heard nothing. Polite. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no bother at all. <laughs> Didn't hear a thing. <laughs> Definitely did. <laughs> yeah. They probably heard me as well. But uh, yeah, we transferred in, and um, the midwife came with me. Unfortunately, she couldn't come in then to the ward. Only one person is allowed in, um, which was, you know, obviously I would choose my husband, <laughs> but. Because he was back to back, just the pain on your low back is excruciating. And she had some magical way of pushing on my low back that would just reduce the pain when the contractions came. She was trying to teach my husband how to do it. But I mean, he was doing the best that he could in a very Mm. stressful situation. And he's not a trained midwife. So... (laughs) but also probably doesn't help. But we transferred in and um, she left just then. Um, I birthed for another while in there, but then opted for an epidural after a few hours because the pain, again, was just, it was building. Um, So I felt this time the room itself was much smaller. So I felt that I was less vulnerable in a sense. I had one midwife with me who was tracking me um, and tracking the baby's heart. Again, I felt like I was just a little bit more um, secure in that sense. And 
I suppose my fear when I transferred in was that they were going to section me and I didn't want to section. And then when I asked the midwife, I said, I, like, I don't want to section. She was like, no, no, like, hopefully it won't come to that because I suppose my experience of me having to be or, you know, them offering induction was that if there's any problem, and I understand that in hospitals for legal reasons and insurance reasons, and the legality is that it's probably easier just to section than to let, you know, the woman labor. So I really didn't want to section. Um, And I also hadn't time to express any of what I wanted if I had to get a section you know Mm. like um because they wouldn't be coming down the birthing canal I know that the regulating of breath um and they wouldn't be getting all that bacteria which you get from a a vaginal birth you know so anything that I'd wanted which would be kind of, you know, the swabbing of um, the vagina to place it on the baby afterwards or anything like that wasn't expressed. So there was that fear that that because I was so staunchly adamant that I was going to home birth and, and, you know, I felt like if I didn't convince myself of that, then it might not happen. So I kind of mindset wise was like no this is going to happen and there's no other no other alternative you know nothing else can seep in um you know that kind of bullish mindset but obviously that's why you pay for a midwife so their expertise and their experience <laughs> clearly is what you go on um and the safety you know the safety of the baby i'm not that staunch in mindset that i would stay at home and put the safety of the baby in mm. any way um you know danger so she was like no don't worry we're just going to track the baby and see how you're getting on first and then it kind of reduced I was like I don't want to appease not me (laughs) she was like no I think you'll be okay like let's just see how we get on so um I opted for an epidural and which at, at the time was obviously the decision the best decision for me um Daniel came out again he turned a little bit like Jonathan towards the end he did need a little bit of help but thankfully I didn't need an episiotomy or anything like that he came out and um my first question was obviously what was his weight because constantly through my pregnancy was you're gonna have a small baby you're gonna have a small baby you're gonna have a small baby and he was seven seven (laughs) stop wow (gasps) that because that was throughout this part of your story in my head I was like what weight was he what weight was he yeah, yeah I know like literally I was like I don't even think I asked his sex I was just like what weight is he like wait I'm tickling now <laughs> no need to put him on my chest <laughs> and she was like no he's seven seven and I could seven, see seven. when she put him on I was like he is a chunk I was like I can see he has chunky legs like he has you know good solid legs and he is he's a solid lump now <laughs> but um yeah seven seven I was real like mm-hmm. um even my midwife when I texted her and said you know we had a baby boy seven seven she was like whoa I, I myself didn't think he was going to be seven seven and I was like but I did I knew that he was bigger and I even in my aftercare appointments with my midwife saying that to her she was saying to me I understand that 
but me as a professional, I didn't know you in your first pregnancy. Yeah. You know, I was saying to her, no, I'm bigger. I am bigger, this, that. And she was like, you know, I only have your word to go on. And I'm like, yeah, but that should be the only one that matters. <laughs> but um, essentially is just so down the packing order, unfortunately, in regards to birth. Um, but my experience then was much more positive in this hospital. Now, I was considered, even my husband was saying, you seem to be the woman that transferred from a home birth. Like everyone who came to see me was like, oh, sorry, you didn't get your home birth. And I'm like, yeah, OK, well, it's not really an issue anymore because I'm here and I've had the baby. <laughs> but everyone that came to see me from pediatrician to midwife would say, oh, you had to transfer in from a home birth. I was like, yeah, yeah yeah thanks yeah baby's fine I'm fine yeah thanks okay but also with that ironically enough after having the baby the what came after that was oh well you should know everything you know like you don't need us for anything any help any assistance with like feeding or you know physio or anything like that it was very much like oh you opted for a home birth which pre-pregnancy was the worst decision I could ever have made and was putting mm. myself and my baby at jeopardy and then post-pregnancy was oh well you don't need any support because you know everything and I'm like oh how did that change so swiftly mm, yeah that's a good point actually so I just wanted to get out of the hospital I wanted mm. to get out like an hour later but they said that I had to stay in for the night because he was um he needed assistance coming out so that was fine so he was a little bit jaundice um, when he came out and they took his blood and just said he has jaundice. I said, that's fine. Um, and my mum always talks of my um, sister. My other sister was blonde, blonde, blonde and pale, pale skin. And then um, my the second eldest was dark, dark hair and had really bad jaundice when she was born. So my mum actually almost like shrieked when she came out and was like, whose baby is that? It's so totally different. But I knew from her just telling birth stories that you just feed the jaundice out of them. You know, she fed her. Um, so they wanted to see me the next day, which I thought, you know, after release. So they released me anyway. I had no problems in that regard. Um, he fed straight away, um, which was amazing, which I was so thankful for. And I think my husband was the most thankful for that. <laughs> he was having flashbacks to literally syringe feeding Jonathan for like three weeks because I was so adamant that I was feeding him. Like even in regards to Jonathan, I hadn't bought any bottles. I hadn't bought a sterilizer. I bought nothing. And which is stupid in hindsight, because at the start, you need to potentially pump off like a little bit of milk when you have extra milk at the start, when they're not feeding so much and then store it. But I was so vehemently uh, adamant that I was feeding on my first that I didn't have any of the equipment <laughs> to support me at all. Um, so I was grateful that he came out and he fed straight away, which was amazing. But uh, I suppose my only afterbirth um, issue I had was when I went back to the hospital to check his jaundice. And they he has this, you know, they, they prick them on their, the side of their foot to take 
the blood and he still has that little purplish scar from it because I mean they're so small and their skin is so new so we went back and I had only fed for two days so only so much could have been flushed out of him and but he was having wet nappies and everything like that and um the doctor wanted to take another uh, blood sample to see because there was this scale and he was kind of on the middle and I just refused I said no I said you haven't given me enough time to flush it out of him and I don't want him to be pricked again essentially when in two days I come back which you're probably going to tell me to do if you take the blood or if you don't take the blood and then more than likely you're going to tell me that he's come down on the scale and he can be fully discharged so the young doctor male doctor was a bit taken back and I just said I'll come back in two days give me time to flush it out of him and then we'll see where we are so left and then obviously went back to the hospital two days later and he said yeah it's fine mm-hmm. absolutely perfect the jarmus is nearly almost gone um you know and that's it and then I was discharged yeah so um after that I had aftercare with my midwife for the next few weeks but everything yeah he did I think the feeding element just helped everything really yeah. in, in that sense that he fed now there uh obviously the latching and the pain that comes with that when you completely forget um all came swarming back but um, I had a much more positive hospital experience anyway. Um, I mean, I was, I wouldn't say upset that I hadn't achieved a home birth. It was more for the comfort. Um, I suppose it started out as a decision that I made because I didn't want to go into the hospital. I didn't want to go back to a hospital. I didn't want to have um, a negative experience, um, definitely. And I had surrounded myself or tried to kind of shield myself with positive experiences and affirmations because I knew, again, doing extensive research that stress, trauma, you know, your environment can literally affect the DNA and the cells of the baby, you know? Um, so... I knew that, like as much as we know that the food that we eat is important, like the environment that we put ourselves in is even more so. So I knew that. So I was very conscious after every appointment that I thought would be slightly traumatizing to me to go grind myself, to go to the beach, to take time for myself, you know, to come back to, you know, my gut, my own affirmations and then continue on from there so I it's more having the comfort like Mm. the first few days at home and you can just lie on the couch and you can just kind of you know you're not in this almost you feel like this caged area of a room where you don't feel comfortable going to the bathroom you don't feel comfortable leaving your baby there it's just yeah, you just prefer to be at home. I suppose I, I would think everyone agrees to that in some sense um, of the word. But yeah, so it was definitely a much more positive experience, uh, even in regards to having to transfer in, for sure. Yeah. So that's the two. <laughs> I'm just so happy to hear that he was 7-7. Seven, seven. Like both mine were, one of mine was 
I can't remember which was which. One was seven eight and one was seven five. So like I'm delighted that he was that weight and that you got to kind of you saw how trustworthy your own gut is. Like do you know what I mean by that? Yes. Yeah. That yeah, you could trust definitely. that you could trust, yeah. Your own instincts as well. Yeah, it was a lot about that. And sometimes even if I had some doubt, I wouldn't share it with my husband. I yeah. didn't want to instill fear in him. But then I also didn't want to say it out loud. Yeah. Um, and I did turn to other midwives that I knew to confirm my good instincts. Like the baby was moving. I was growing. Like I was bigger. I was wearing the exact same clothes as I did on my first, like I didn't invest in maternity clothes, you know, or a huge amount of them. Um, so I was wearing the same clothes that I was on my first and I wasn't fitting into them, you know, yeah. um, and I was having the same diet. So I knew that I was bigger. Um, and even people I had worked with, would say oh yeah no you've popped earlier on this pregnancy but I think that was just because I was growing he was growing more I I think in a lot of senses now the difference between my pregnancy as well are that on my first pregnancy I didn't eat meat and so I was iron deficient and um I would was taking iron tablets but then again through information and study like something synthetic is not as good as the actual you know source itself so on my second pregnancy I was eating I was actually craving red meat um and then understanding that what I was craving is actually what the body is lacking Mm. so I was craving red meat so I was eating red meat and I was starting to research and source like grass-fed meat from Galway which I was getting delivered up to Dublin and also um source like really good because I was craving like really cold dairy like really cold milk and really cold yogurt like thick Greek yogurt like um almost unpasteurized you know that sense so I just started to do a lot of research on getting it straight from the source so I was getting a lot of meat and eggs and dairy straight from farms and local markets and I think that my diet also had an effect potentially on the growth of mm. um, Daniel as well. Mm. Kate, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks a million. Bye. Guys. I hope you all enjoyed this week's episode. If you would like to share your story, you're more than welcome to. You can get in touch on the website, irelandsbirthstories.ie. Click on the Share Your Stories tab and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like to support the podcast and help me keep it afloat, you can click on the ACAST link in the show notes there. And for the price of a coffee a month, you can contribute to keeping the podcast going, basically. Thank you to those that have. I really appreciate it. Have a good week and I will be back on Monday with a new episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.